It is righteous and just. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Ensure your servant's well-being. Let not the arrogant oppress me. My eyes fail looking for your salvation, looking for your righteous promise. Deal with your servant according to your love and teach me your decrees. I am your servant. Give me discernment that I may understand your statutes. It is time for you to act, O Lord. Your law is being broken because I love your commands more than gold, more than pure gold, and because I consider all your precepts right. I hate every wrong path. Mm. So, wouldn't it be nice if every Jew who didn't believe <laughs> were to, like, take this to heart? And take it to heart. Right. Yep. Okay, let's see here. Um, I mentioned this Sunday. I'll mention it. Well, there's no point because everybody here was... Uh, uh, yeah, okay. Um, let's see here. We have, um, uh, oh, Sergio had a Bible that I mentioned a lot of people were asking about yes. it. It is online as well, the netbible.org, and you can go there, and it's got every footnote you can imagine, mm -hmm. just like his Bible does. And so, um, uh, just so you know, that it's at netbible.org, and lots of good links, and, and uh Footnotes if you want to read that online. Okay, uh, Isaac's sister. Uh, this is her last semester at school. She's going to graduate and be a nurse. And uh, so uh, uh, he needs, I, I don't know, he said 4758 and I'm not sure what he meant, but she needs money to get to school. It may be that he has 758 and 400 is paid or whatever. I asked him to clarify and I've not heard yet back yet, but if you want to help with that, let me know and by tomorrow morning, I will have an answer from him, and uh, then I can tell you what that is. So uh, there you go. Um, I have one prayer request. Is uh, uh, two January nine o'clock in the morning, very first thing. Uh, two January, we got a call at the house, and uh, my wife here has breast cancer, and so uh, just add her onto your prayer list, please, and uh, that would be very appreciated. So, all right, um, we'll go ahead and read, uh, go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you very much for the chance to come into your presence and to just uh, relish in who you are. And we are very grateful to you for everything you've done for us and everything that, uh, uh, just you're such a good God. You're so caring of us and you, you sense Jesus to reconcile us to ourselves so that no matter what happens in our lives, things are okay. And we're just grateful for that. And we ask that you bless this class and that our uh, uh, doctrine would be sound. And if there's something missing from it, that you would uh, let us know so that we could correct that. So that we would not err in mishandling or incorrectly teaching your wonderful word. What a precious word. Lord, we thank you. Um, we just ask that uh, uh, you guide us in the days ahead on decisions of what to do with my lovely wife. And um, we just commit this class to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This will come up uh, to January. Okay, uh, last of the Greek fathers, about 600 years after the Apostle Paul was converted in Damascus, a boy was born there named John Mansour. Damascus was by then ruled by the Muslims, but John's father, the treasurer of Caliph Abdul Maled, was a Christian who represented church interests before the court. John became a Christian himself and was educated by an Italian monk whom his father had ransomed from slavery. 
He excelled in academics, and upon the death of his father, he was appointed by the caliph to high position. In time, however, John felt the Lord calling him to the ministry. He left Damascus and settled in the covenant of St. Sabas between Jerusalem and the Dead Sea. There he became a priest and spent out his days study, writing, oh, in study, writing, and humble tasks. His feast day is December 4th. John vigorously defended the Eastern Church's practice of worshiping icons and images. What an idiot. Um, but he is most famous for his encyclopedic summary of theology. He systemized Greek theology, much as Thomas Aquinas summarized and uh, systematized Latin doctrine 500 years later. Like a bee, he wrote, I gather all that conforms to the truth. Well, here he is defending worshiping icons and images, and he's, I'm sorry, it doesn't work that way. Anyway, um, I'm not offering my own conclusions, but those which were laboriously arrived at by the most eminent theologians. I have merely collected them and summarized them as far as was possible in one treatise. John also wrote hymns, and those who take time to thumb through old hymnals find his resurrection hymn, Come Ye Faithful, now 1400 years old, uh, its words still paint beautiful pictures in our minds. Tis the spring of souls today, Christ hath burst his prison, and from three days sleep and death as a sun hath risen. All the winter of our sins, long and dark is flying, from his light to whom we give laud and praise undying. Alleluia! Now we cry to our King immortal, who triumph and burst the bars of the tomb's dark portal. Alleluia! With the Son, God the Father praising, Alleluia! Yet again to the Spirit raising. Christ has been raised to life, and he makes us certain that others will be raised to life. Just as we will die because of Adam, we will be raised to life because of Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 and 21. Okay, we are in... Oh, we're still in 2 Thessalonians. I know, can you believe it? I think you guys will be done. Huh. 2 Thessalonians 3, and we're in verse 14. No. Five verses no. to go. And the guy who was doing the reading last week, he was good. He was real good. That was uh, Sergio. Sergio. Anyhow, you want me to do it? Yeah, please. Great. Uh, let's see. 14. If anyone does not obey our instructions in this letter, take special note of him. Do not associate with him in order that he may feel ashamed. Okay. Um... 314. In these words, Paul, I better read that because I, I wasn't really paying attention if yours matched mine. Let's see here. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. Yeah, it's very close. In these words, Paul is working for unity within the body, not division. But by calling for division from sluggards, it is a call to those who need to be withdrawn from to wake up from their slumber, get their act in order, and become productive, compliant members of the church. Uh, you know, today I was emailing one of my friends. Um, she helps a lot with church matters constantly. I, it's just uh, always doing this. And I mentioned that I was going to church and I'd clean the bathrooms. And she said, I wish I lived closer because I would be there and do that every single week. And so what I did is, I, you know, you can make those fake tombstones online. 
Yeah. I made a fake tombstone with her name on there, and I said, was faithful to clean the Superior Word Church. I said, you get credit for it even though you're not here. So it was just, but you know, she's not one of these sluggards. And I'm not saying if you don't come to church and help, you're not, a, that's not what I'm saying, because people have their own things that they do that are beneficial in one way or another. Um, so please don't think that, anyway. Um, it must be remembered that the entire discourse here is based on the fact that some in the church had been swayed by a false word concerning the end times. That's verses 2, 1 and 2. And um, uh, so uh, this whole thing that Paul is writing about in the last parts of 2 Thessalonians 3 is based on what he said at the beginning of 2 Thessalonians, where he's talking about you know, the, the day of the Lord, the end times, not to worry, don't get unsettled. And now he's telling us what you do with people that are promoting this kind of thing. They're sitting around, they're not doing anything. The day of the Lord is near, and so we don't have to do this. And it, it's a direct connection between the two. That is what Paul is doing. And so um, uh, anyway, I, I have to say that uh, if you missed the particular uh, study. I think I said this last week as well, but it's just as important to me as anything else as people will tune into a Bible study once in a while. And, you know, if you miss the one where I put the sequence of events, and it was like um, 2 Thessalonians 3, 7 and 8 or something, somewhere around there, put the sequence of events in order in a little graph here on the board. I want people to understand that. If they don't get anything else, I would like them to understand the sequence of events for the end times because there's so much confusion over something that is so simple. Uh, it's not simple because people have taken it and just abused it over the years with adding all kinds of incorrect ideas about the end times. But what Paul has written is the doctrine for the end times, talking about the church. I'm not talking about what Jesus said in Matthew 24, for example, because that is not directed to the church. Okay, if you have been applying verses from Matthew 24 into your end times theology, you've run into error and you will never have sound theology. So go to Paul, who was the one who introduced the rapture. It was a mystery. Jesus went through Paul to reveal the rapture to the church. It was never mentioned before. Paul introduced it. Paul gives the sequence of events. If you get away from that, you're going to have error. And that's why we have people sitting in the church doing nothing. They're sitting around speculating on the rapture. They're sitting around talking about entering into the day of the Lord. They're talking about mid-trib raptures and all that kind of stuff. It's because they have gotten away from what Paul was given by Jesus. Under inspiration of the Spirit, this is the doctrine of the rapture. He's laid it out. Please check that out, and you will save yourself all kinds of misery when people come and tell you something that Paul is now saying. These are the type of people that I are doing what I told you to watch out for at the beginning of this chapter, okay? Very important. From that departure, they had become unproductive members of the body, lollygagging around, and interrupting a normal environment of right worship and proper daily life. Understanding this, he begins the verse with, and if any man, that's his words, this is the call for division in hopes of obtaining unity. This reason, the reason this is so is that the person is already divided from the body in a general sense. He's placed himself outside of proper doctrine, which Paul had already told them. He's reiterated in the letter, and now he is saying that these people, if, if this is the person, 
I'm telling you this so that we can get them back into fellowship. They're not in a proper sense of fellowship right now. Uh, he is not in accord with the rest, and so there's no point in allowing him, this person that isn't, is not responding properly to what Paul has said, allowing him to continue to be in fellowship with the church. The reason why he isn't in accord with the rest is because he, as Paul next says, does not obey our word in this epistle. Paul is saying that what he has written is authoritative. If we divert from what Paul says in the matter that he has addressed, then that person is not in proper fellowship. And he says right there, he does not obey our word in this epistle. I told you once, you'd misunderstood or you didn't listen, and therefore I'm putting it in writing. Now that I've put it in writing, if people do not adhere to this sound doctrine, what they can do is they can go find another church that preaches pre-trib rapture. I'm sorry, mid-trib rapture or amillennialism. They are not in fellowship here. Or they can come back and be in compliance with this church. And I'm not saying me. I'm, I'm saying what Paul's example. All right. You want to teach something wrong? Go to another church because what Paul says here is the doctrine for the church. Okay. So um, I'm just giving that as an example. This epistle, Paul's epistle, is based on apostolic authority, which is derived from Christ Jesus. Uh, before I go on, did you start it yet or no? No. Okay. All right. Just wanted to know because I wasn't watching the past 20 minutes. Anyway, uh, if you had, I would have asked how it went and then either congratulated you or otherwise. Okay. We'll go on. Um, uh, therefore, such a person is being disobedient to the word of God. If you are not compliant with what Paul has said, as is clearly laid out in Scripture, you are dis being disobedient to his apostolic authority, which is now in writing, and therefore you are disobedient to the Word of God. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I told you about a guy that was arguing that Paul is, um, you know, basically the Antichrist. He's uh, uh, in hell now forever because of his stand, and that all comes back to law, worship, and self-idolatry. That's what all, all that comes back to. But um, you know, I, I told him once, and I told him a second time, and then that was it. I said, do not email me again. I don't want to hear from you. If you have a change after I've talked to you, that's up to you and God, but I am not going to open another email from you because he is so far out in left field with this theology, and he's really harming people, really harming people. And the way he did this, you know, he came in, and he said, I saw you on Sergio and Roto's video. And uh, so he, like, very good. And, you know, he's a seductive type of introduction. These people do this. Great video, blah, 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 blah. And then all of a sudden they start telling you where they come you're from. Wrong. Yeah, where you're wrong and where they're coming from. And so, um, and that's when I said, you know, I wasn't right from the very beginning. I was like, you are not in accord with the word. Here is what is appropriate in this particular matter. And he came back and he argued back. And the second time I did it. And after that, I said, don't email me again. Do not respond to this email, which he did, so I just didn't bother with it. I, You do not want to, what does it say? Paul says it elsewhere. Warn a divis, divisive person one time, warn them a second time, and then have nothing to do with them. That's what he warns. That's the word of God. Handle it that way. Otherwise, all you are doing is violating the word of God, which you're trying to uphold in the process. So, so his, his statement is that Paul is the only person to stand in hell right now? Well, no, no. He wasn't saying it that way. He, he did say he's burning in hell like three times in his email. But uh, his stand is that Paul is apostate. He said that uh, he is, um, he, he took the contradiction, supposed contradiction in Acts where uh, first the people with Paul 
uh, didn't hear the voice, and then they, uh, uh, you weren't here for me to say this, I guess, they didn't hear the voice, and then they uh, heard the voice. And so he says, see, there's a contradiction. And therefore, uh, and there is not. It's, he Why didn't hear, and hearing means listen. And the word has to be taken in the proper context. Right. They heard, but they didn't understand. Okay. Anyway, that, yeah, yeah, so I he's saying it. that. But I came back to him and I said, do you hold to the book of Acts as scripture? Do you hold it as inspired? Because if you don't, we're arguing apples and oranges, and there's no point in going on with this conversation. If I hold it as inspired and you hold it as uninspired, we have no fellowship that we can begin to argue a point. So that's what happened. Anyway, so he's just going through his case that, uh, and, and of course, in order to defend this, he says that 2 Peter is not a, a valid book in the Bible, okay? Because 2 Peter says what? 2 Peter 3.15, what does it say? That Paul is, one Paul of is his words are in accord with scripture. Right. So they have to throw out 2 Peter. As soon as you throw out two Peter, you got to throw out one Peter. You know, the whole thing just unravels. But it's it's people that have an agenda to destroy the faith of other people. That's all they want to do is destroy people's faith and tear people away from. They're the people that are actually talked about in our sermon last Sunday, represented by Amalek. The people who want to ring off. They want to tear people away from the body. That's exactly who that is speaking of, and that was prophesied in the book of uh, Joshua. Actually, Exodus, and then um, I believe in Numbers, Joshua, and Judges thousands of years ago. And it's prefiguring people like that. They're never going to know because we are at war with Amalek. What does it say? From generation to generation, forever. And it's not a group of people. It's an ideology. They want to tear people away from the body. So that's what it means because there is no Amalek today as far as, as, far as literal people. Okay, so obviously when he said that they will be at war with Amalek forever, it is speaking of an ideology that still exists in the world, and it's not going to end until Christ returns. So anyway, um, that's kind of beside the point, but uh, if you are into law observance, once again, and you email me with emails about law observance, I'll warn you once, I'll warn you twice, and then I'll have nothing to do with you because there's no point in arguing somebody that has not even taking the time to read the book of Galatians through and study at one time. Yeah, okay, and so we'll just throw out the book of Galatians. We don't right. have to worry about that. Right. Anyway. That, um, whole, that whole problem stems that people do not understand that there's two judgment seats. That's two, right. You are not given license. You'll suffer in that's one right. way or another, but your salvation is solid if you believe. So it's, it's that's where the whole thing falls apart. Yeah, people, people, well, you know, and... Uh, what, it, but more than that, it's more than just the judgment seat. It comes back to self. Right. I am the arbiter of God's word. I am the right. uh, arbiter of my salvation. That's what it actually comes back to. It's an internal problem that people have that they cannot accept grace. Right. They must be the arbiters because we can't trust God. And that's what that theology is. It's just extreme. It's very extreme, but it's it always comes back to the same thing. Whether it's mandating tithing in a church, or whether it's uh, mandating seventh uh, Saturday worship, the Sabbath day, it doesn't matter what it is. Mm -hmm. I must do something to secure my salvation. Yeah, maybe, that guy's just taking it to such I, an extreme that th there's nothing left of him. He's maybe, just. I, I might have misworded that. It sounds plausible, unless you know. Well, yeah, are, that's what every right, every right. false argument sounds plausible. And that's so why you, people you, get sucked into it. Right, right. You know, Jesus isn't God, and so you've got 18 million Jehovah's Witnesses out there or whatever. Right, right. So absolute, you're absolutely right. 
Okay, so um, uh, this epistle, I read this, is based on apostolic authority derived from Christ Jesus. Okay, this continues today because the epistle has found a permanent place in the Word of God. I don't believe there's any mistake in the 66 books of the Bible. Not one of them is inserted incorrectly. Not one of them can be taken out without unraveling the tapestry of this marvelous word. All of them belong there. I will admit right off the top of my head that I have no idea why the Song of Solomon is in there. I, it's beautiful. I read it, and I can't wait to study it someday to be able to say, I'm getting this better than I am right now. First off, it's poetic literature, and I have a very tough time with it. it my brain doesn't think that way, okay? But to think, how does this point to Jesus without all of the weird metaphors that many people over the years have come up with? And I've read those commentaries, and they don't make any sense to me. There's something more in the Song of Solomon. And so I've read many commentaries. There's no point in saying, well, I found one that does it. I'll, I'll get to there eventually. We will do the Song of Solomon. But it, to me, it's a very hard book to fit into why this relates to Christ in a specific way, okay? And I can't wait to find it out, you know, just, I, and I'm not saying it doesn't, I just don't know why. And I want to know the deepest details of the Song of Solomon. I almost picked that one instead of whatever we did, Esther, I think. And it was really close, and I'm glad we did Esther because it was such a beautiful book. It really was. Anyway, um, Song of Solomon, very, very hard for me to read. And when I'm reading it to, to say, I, I, I'm getting this to the point where I see it completely. And that's I want to know every detail of it. So anyway. Um, From a guy who writes at least two poems every week. I know. I know. Well, I got to tell you what, that, that is one of the toughest parts of sermon typing to me. It's the very last thing I do mm -hmm. is I, all the fill-in stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, even giving it the title may be the last thing whatever but the last 10 sermons that i've typed have been very easy because it's gideon a judge of israel part one part two all the way up to part 10 so i haven't had to even think about that but uh, those things are really tough on me but i want to do them because i like breaking up the uh, sermon it, it just mentally stops you and gives you a chance to breathe Don't so stop. okay i won't but boy they can be really tough at times um okay so uh the command applies just as much as it does uh when it was received by the church at thessalonica and the instruction given is to note that person and do not keep company with them. Paul's words, I didn't say it. If a person is uh, not responding appropriately to what Paul says, and he is dividing the church over end times theology, note that person and do not keep company with him. Okay, you could say, oh, Charlie, you're just not a very nice guy. You're not even attending to that guy. Listen, Paul wrote it. I, you know what? Either I obey what it says or I don't obey what it says. And he's given instruction elsewhere as to how to handle that. I cited it a second ago. Tell him once, tell him twice, and then after that, and that is where this fits in here. The person that Paul is warning about, guaranteed, he's already told him twice and he's not going to do it anymore. So um, the word translated as note means to set a mark upon. The individual is to be highlighted as if branded so that we are constantly reminded of his errant ways. Where does that come from? Where does that thought come from? Set a mark upon so that you can be constantly reminded of his errant ways. Kane. Very good. We don't have anything to give you a surprise, but she's always getting these. Cain, it was the first person to have a mark put on him 
be to remind everybody of his errant ways. I forgot that. Yeah. And that's going all it, it took a second because you know I'm I'm throwing out a question that has nothing to do with anything. So I'm really surprised you got it, but it doesn't surprise me you got it. She's very analytical about that. So um uh yeah, it's it's uh something that the what does it say the opposite somewhere in scripture set an uh mark upon somebody not for their errant ways but for their obedient ways. Where is that? That's when the, the saints went in or the angels went in and marked the people that were That's right, in Ezekiel chapter eight, I believe. What? Nine six. Nine six. Okay. Oh, so you were searching just now for that? No. Oh, he just knows. Oh, because you typed it in the past couple of days. That's right. Ezekiel nine six and it says set a mark, a tav on the person. And uh, I love to read this. I've read it several times in the class, but we forget. So I'll take you there. What I want you to do is think about the what? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm going to read this, and then just think about this. Every time I read it, and I just read it a couple days ago, maybe. It hasn't been long. I think of this thing. And every time, it never stops to uh, stun me almost. It says, um, uh, here it is. And the Lord said, this is verse 4, Go through the midst of the city through the mark of Jerusalem and put a mark, a tav, a cross on the foreheads of the men who sigh and cry over all the abominations that are done within it. To the others, he said, these people have what's called a mapatz, a shattering weapon. They're going to take that and they're going to kill everybody that doesn't have this mark. It says, um, go after him through the city and kill. Do not let your eyes spare nor have any pity. Utterly slay old and young men, maidens and little children and women, but do not come near anyone who is uh, on whom is the mark, and begin at my sanctuary. So they began with the elders who, be, who were before the temple. Then he said to them, defile the temple and fill the courts with the slain. Go out. And they went out and killed in the city. So it was that while they were killing them, I was left alone. And I fell on my face and cried out and said, Ah, oh, Lord God, will you destroy all the remnant of Israel in pouring out your fury on Jerusalem? Then he said to me, the iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah is exceedingly great, and the land is full of bloodshed, and the city full of perversity. For they say, the Lord has forsaken the land, and the Lord does not see. And as for me also, my eye will neither spare, nor will I have pity, but I will recompense their deeds on their own head. Just then, verse 11, the man clothed with linen, who had the inkhorn at his side, reported back and said, I have done as you have commanded me. It never ceases. Every time I read this, he gave two sentences telling why he was doing it to Jerusalem. And it says, just then, the man came back and said, I've done it. What does that mean? Not many. Very few people were given that mark. Out of all of Jerusalem, it only took him seconds, literally, to mark the people that were going to be saved. All the rest of them, what does it say? Begin with the elders. Judgment begins at the house of the Lord. Okay. It's, every time I read that, it's scary to me. Every single time. Set a mark on that person. Okay, in this case, you're, he's already saved if he's a member of the congregation and he believed at some point, but now he is out of fellowship. He's got a mark to save him on him somewhere or sealed with the Holy Spirit, but put a mark on him so he doesn't infect the rest of the congregation. That goes back to what you said about, you know, uh, the judgment seat. We are, we are not given license, and people need to understand that. You can't just arbitrarily go and do stuff and think that you're going to get away unscathed from it, okay? 
in this case. He's to, the individual is to be highlighted as if branded so that we are constantly, constantly reminded of his errant ways. Until he is compliant, the note is to remain. It's not enough to say, oh, he's not holding to the word, but in this case, he has an interesting insight I think you should hear. Instead, he is to be noted and completely ignored. Don't listen to people that are bringing up nutty stuff that has nothing to do with what Paul has said. Do not do it. All you're going to do is have infection in the church, and pretty soon everybody's going to be speculating on the rapture and having little, uh, what do you call it, uh, lottery tickets on who's going to win, and it'll never end, right? As seen above, the main thrust of the letter concerns adhering to the Word of God concerning end times. It is a call to not speculate on what belongs to the Lord alone. And that's, as we cited a week ago, Acts 1, 7, and 8, okay, and 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 1. Let's read them just because we're, we're here. Acts, uh, uh, where is it, 1 Corinthians? Go back to Acts. Very simple instructions the Lord gave. Very, very simple. There's nothing difficult about what Jesus said. His very last words to the church or to the apostles before he went to heaven. It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and all Samaria and to the end of the earth. Okay? If Will, Ray and Jess Willett were uh, in Papua New Guinea right now worrying about the rapture, they wouldn't be worried about evangelizing people and getting the word of God into their language in an understandable manner. That wouldn't be what they're doing. They'd be sitting around talking about when is the rapture and uh, saying we don't need to do this because we're in the end times and he's coming any minute now. But they're not doing that. And then what does it say in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 1? But, and he uses the exact same term that Jesus just used, concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. And then he explains why he says that, and he further explains it in 2 Thessalonians 2, 2 Thessalonians 2, because he wants them to understand that we are not going to know those things. I don't need to write you about that. It's going to come as a thief in the night. You're not going to be here. Don't worry about it. Get to work and tell people about Jesus. Learn your Bible and have proper doctrine. Raise your children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. These things are important. The rapture is going to happen. The timing is obviously not important for you to know, so leave it alone, okay? Um, I never, ever look at statistics on YouTube, ever. Today I was there for something, I don't remember what, and uh, I, I just, my eyes glanced over it and it said, lost 15 subscribers in the last month. And I thought, that's because of 1 Thessalonians, or 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, or talking about this, I know it is, okay? but. That's what, what am I going to do? We're here to study it. We're here to this study it. This is what it says. And if, if people don't want to hear it, they can just unsubscribe from the channel. It just doesn't bother me. It bothers me that people don't want to know the Word of God. That does bother me. Instead, they want to play and do all kinds of things that they shouldn't be doing. But, uh, yeah, I, I just happened to glance and there was this red thing and it caught my eye and I look and I'm like, huh. You know, because usually it goes up by one or two a. a, a, a week or whatever. I mean, it's probably just some little thing. We've been at the same general number for like 20 years, but anyway, I know that's an exaggeration, but I'm very good at exaggerating. 15. Yeah, 15. Okay, so anyway, um, let's see here. Um, yeah, okay, so Acts 1-7 I read, 1 Thessalonians 5-1 I read. As this is disobedient to the words of Jesus, 
and the words of Paul, who is Jesus' representative, we are to not keep company with date setters. We are not to watch their videos on YouTube, and we are not to attend their conferences, if applicable. Instead, we are to remain productive members of the church, not idle speculators wasting precious time, which should be directed towards attaining spiritual maturity. Paul's words, however, are certainly all-encompassing. Anyone who is not obedient to the words of his epistles, regardless of the infraction, is to be kept away from. And I'm talking about repeated offenders that have been told, okay? You got to keep away from them because if you don't, the church is going to be affected, all right? Though proper work habits are interrupted, am I on the right page? 50? No. Uh, though the words here are centered on the end times date setters, they must also pertain to all flagrant ignoring of church age doctrine. He then finishes up with an explanation of why he commands this with, that he may be ashamed. It's not because he's lost his salvation. It's not because of this or that or one. It's because you are trying to bring him back into the fold. That is the purpose of this type of, of punishment, is to shame them so that they will want to come back into the fold, okay? Uh, that's, okay, anyway, uh, he then finishes up with an explanation of why he says this. Yes, in the coming verse, he will further define this, but for now, the intent is one of correction. That is the intent, correcting people from poor doctrine or wasting other people's times. Listen, I've told you to stop talking about the rapture in the church. You're not doing it. I need you to stop it. If you don't, I'm going to tell the church to have nothing to do with you, okay? You are going to put yourself in your own little box because what you are doing is inappropriate. And that's not easy to do, especially with somebody that you like or somebody that you've known for a long time, but they start getting into this nonsense. That's what Paul says to do. He says to do it. Rapture date setters should not be applauded for their diligence in trying to determine when the rapture will be. They should be shunned for being an embarrassment on the body, such as true with any infraction. Once again, this is Paul's words. These aren't my words. I'm just analyzing them for you. Okay, A brother who is sexually immoral is to be expelled from the body because he is bringing disgrace upon the name of Christ. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And his actions are harmful to those who may think it is otherwise okay to act this way. You know, I can't tell you, and I don't bring them up often because we know that it happens. I could put one in the, the CG report every single week, but I can't tell you how many pastors you read about, you know, mail online or something that have done something so disturbing. It's just a litany of them every single week. You know, the two things that I see the most of, and I'm talking about repeating themes, are school teachers that have, you know, uh, relationships with their children and pastors that are doing something they shouldn't be doing to, in that particular regard. It's almost every single day I see these things. And I think, you know, how many teachers are out there? It's like they're all doing this. It's just every day. It's the never GDP. It's what we were talking about earlier. It's porn uh, is that's right. Over the... It's taking over everything. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, the Shiny. sad thing is that most of these teachers are married. They have children. Mm -hmm. And they're, it's just, it's crazy. Absolutely crazy. But pastors doing this type of stuff or youth pastors, or it's just a constant stream of them. I see them. And I think, you know, you're in the church. You're representing Jesus and you're doing this. I mean, I can see 
certain things that people do. It's just a bad mistake. But that that's kind of intentional, and it's so common. Anyway, um, a brother who is sexually immoral is to be expelled from the body. Uh, where am I? Um, uh, his actions for those who may otherwise think it's acceptable. Such things should not be. The place to find out what is and what is not acceptable is right here. This is it, the Word of God. When it is not adhered to, the action must be taken to restore order and to maintain holiness. Okay, this has to be that way. Um, uh, I'll get into that. I'll probably put it in a report next week, so I won't talk about it now. But something that happened kind of on the lines of what I was telling you. Uh, life application. Some people seem to be beyond shame. Well, I know a whole political party that's arrived at that point. They make stuff up out of their own heads. They misuse scripture willingly in order to appear super religious. Whether they will acknowledge their infractions or not, we are given our orders. Keep ourselves away from such people. Don't get caught up in that which is misdirected. Instead, grow in sound theology and hold fast to the word of God. Okay, if you don't do this, if you don't hold to that, if you don't study it and apply it to your life, you are going to have problems and you're being misdirected by people that intentionally take this word and manipulate it and misuse it, okay? It's very sad, but there are people galore out there. Um, 315. Um, shame requires a conscience. Shame, yeah, shame requires a conscience. And once you are beyond that, once your conscience is seared, there's no hope for you, right. okay? Unless you are willing to acknowledge that I could be the problem and I'm willing to change. But, you know, it, it, here's the thing. Mom said this to me years ago, and it, I don't remember how she said it, but, uh, you know, when you have no shame, then nothing matters. And that's not the way she said it, but I'm going to explain it. Um, you take, like, these people in Congress. Barney Frank was the epitome of it, hmm. okay? I remember when that senator, he was out in, like, Washington or something. He was a Republican, and he kissed his secretary on the cheek. And the Republican Party made him leave the Senate. He had to resign. Barney Frank, at the exact same time, has his pages in his bedroom every night. And nobody said a thing. There's no shame in such a person, and so it doesn't matter. There's, there's no accountability, and so people just ignore it. And you look at the actions, especially. Now, I'm not talking about only, because there's a lot of problems in the Republican Party, but you... I don't know a Democrat that has shame. They, they have no sense of it. There's none. They just get up there and they lie to the American people. And with because of that, you, there's, you can't hold anything against them. I don't care. Without shame, there's no way to hold anybody accountable. Yeah, Martinez, it's in uh, New Jersey. Good oh. Lord, he's been, like, he's been caught like six oh, times. Like, the Republicans, yeah. they, they just kicked out, but Oh, it does. It goes all over it. But at least there are people in the party. What I'm saying is that have shame and impose their standards on the others and get rid of them. The other party doesn't even have that. There's none. So you can't go anywhere with it. And that is what the Bible says is coming on the whole world. It's not just on individuals or politics and some government or another. It's going to be the whole world. Okay. Yeah, it's just I don't know. This is where we're heading. Uh, Three fifteen. Fifteen. Yet, do not regard him as an enemy. 
but warn him as a brother. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Close, but a little change up on the terminology. Okay, uh, the Greek begins with and not yet. And there's, but you know, the word can be translated differently. Okay, uh, the Greek words, they're like ours kind of, you can have a different meaning for things, but uh, specifically it says and. There's no thought of bitterness or unkindness in Paul's words already spoken or which he now writes. Instead, this is a saving measure towards the wayward brother. That is the intent of Paul's words, to save this person and to bring him back into normal thinking, not this crazy stuff that he's involved in. Using the proper conjunction and shows that not keeping company with this person is actually an act of brotherly love and brotherly kindness. It is not intended to correct his incorrect, I'm sorry, it is intended to correct his incorrect conduct and hopefully bring him back into proper conduct. That is the intent of having nothing to do with these people, okay? And a lot of people just get offended and they leave and they keep doing their crazy stuff in some other church where they can get away with it. But um, Paul wrote these words. Once again, third time, I have to say it. We are told certain things in the word and we are expected to maintain the proper decorum that the word has set forth, okay? The word doesn't say anything about wearing dresses beyond your knees. I was in a church where you had to do that, okay? That's legalism. That is called legalism, all right? When you have legalism, you're adding something to the word of God that is not in the word of God. And the reason why is because you're the authoritative figure in the church that's telling the church what to do, all right? And then taking things out of the Bible, like, no, we don't need to tell this guy that. That is the opposite, and it's just as damaging both are damaging. You add to the word, you take away from the word, you are going to cause damage in your congregation. Okay, so um, let's see here. Understanding this, Paul says, and do not count him as an enemy. He says this elsewhere as well, and I can't remember the verse, but the same intent. This person is not an enemy. It's just that you need to isolate yourself from him and him from the church because he's not an enemy. What is occurring here is Christian discipline, not warfare. This person is not holding to sound doctrine. He is misusing scripture or has been misled concerning scripture and has come to faulty conclusions about an issue. This in turn has led him to lollygag around and not working. And such a person is to be treated as, isn't to be treated as an enemy, but as a misdirected brother. Okay, and that's the way he's handled it all the way. You know, he's saying if you don't work, you don't eat. Okay, that's not being harmful to the person. That's being good to him. He is going to go out and he's going to get a job and he's going to learn to be responsible. If you just allow him to do what he's doing, he's never going to grow. He's never going to be productive and he's going to sit there and, you know, sponge off of the church forever. He's never going to be a sound person. So when you say if a person doesn't work, he doesn't eat, you're helping that person. Okay, And once again, that's not speaking of people that can't take care of themselves. That's not speaking of invalids and people that are incapable of doing something or another. Okay, That is speaking of people that just sponge off of others. They go from one place to another and they are never productive. They take advantage of every person around them, but they never help themselves at all. Don't deal with people like that ever. Okay, um, uh, They're lollygagging around and not working. Um, let's see here. Um, 
He isn't uh, to be treated like someone who is actually hostile to the faith. Rather, we are to admonish him, Paul's words, admonish him as a brother. You've got to stop this. We've got to cut fellowship until you're willing to get a job, until you're willing to stop talking about the rapture every five minutes because the Lord says we're not going to know. This is what we're supposed to do. Admonish means to correct, counsel, or exhort we are to urge such people to turn and look for God's best in their lives. Rapture date setting doesn't qualify. One misses out on life when he spends all of his time speculating about the next prophetic event to occur. It just is not healthy. It damages everybody around him. And so we just need to tell that person, I'm sorry, you're going to have to just be put in the back burner in this location until you stop it. Proper work habits are interrupted, family relationships suffer, and other people are brought into the same inane pass of futile speculation. None of this should occur, and such people are to be properly admonished as brothers to give up this avenue and pure sound doctrine. Pursue sound doctrine, I'm sorry. And to give up this avenue and pursue sound doctrine. Uh, Life application. This is when I was on Facebook. You can tell because I haven't been on there in many years. But uh, with the unfriend option on Facebook, it's pretty easy to just cut people off without a care. This is necessary at times, but it also can be harmful as well. We need to ensure that we only take such measures toward other Christians if they are truly disruptive or passing on heretical ideas. We Otherwise, we should just admonish them to pursue right doctrine and avoid otherwise commenting on their incorrect posts about the next rapture date or the sign in the sky. Always attempt to use Christian courtesy when dealing with your fellow brethren. I'm not going to post on your wall ever again unless you stop this nonsense, okay? I've told you once, I've told you a second time, but I'm not going to cut you off completely, okay? Because Paul wouldn't say to do that. You're trying to correct them, not cut them off. Okay, as it says, it's, it's correction, not warfare. Anyway, uh, 316. Wow, we are going to finish today. I, when you said there's five verses, I'm just going to blow through them and we're going to finish this because the last couple of verses are only salutations. Mm -hmm. So, yes. Can I ask a quick question? Sure. Um, is verse just did. Uh, 14 the same as verse 6? Verse 14. Where are we? Uh, verse 14 is... Um, uh, and if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person do not keep company with them that they may be ashamed. But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every... Yeah, it's the same idea from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. Exactly the same concept. Yes, it's all on this subject of the end times. But as I said, uh, the previous verse... Uh, it would logically follow that we should treat them this way with any word of doctrine from the right. from the word of God. But uh, he's specifically talking about the end times events in 2 Thessalonians. The whole epistle is basically hinging on that. And it's because they didn't listen when he told them. 1 Thessalonians didn't answer the questions that they wanted or that they are not responding to accordingly. Paul is giving them this epistle to make sure that everything is out there for them to know. And as I say, because it's placed now in the Word of God, it is for everybody to hold to, okay? I, there's nothing cultural about it. There's nothing that it only applies to those in Thessalonians. What Paul writes here applies to everybody in the church age at all times. We are supposed to be working, not worrying about silly. You know, if we had done what the Millerites did in the 1800s, there wouldn't be any church left. 
if everybody did that. And you can go back to the people that I uh, read or watched something, I can't remember what, um, uh, around the millennium, the first thousand years. And everybody thought that was a sign that Jesus is coming, right? And so everybody was all in a lather over that, okay? If people had just stopped at that point, there wouldn't have been any church. There wouldn't have been anything. And it's been happening continuously ever since. People just keep thinking, we are the ones. We are the ones where the Lord's going to come back. It's all going to happen to us. And this has been going on. Um, I will say this. I had a friend. And he was a good friend of mine, he and his wife. And um, he, it's tragic. He had been under the impression that the rapture was going to happen during his life. And he was convinced that he and his wife were going to go up together. And then he got cancer. And he never talked to anybody again. He just completely cut himself off from everybody. And he died just completely separate from any fellowship with anybody. He was, if you're going to live your life like that, as I feel bad about that. I think about it all the time. He just shut himself off. Is that your hope? My hope is for Jesus. It doesn't matter through life or death. It doesn't matter if I die today and he comes 50 years from me. It doesn't make any difference to me. If your hope is to hold your wife's hand on the way up, that's a pretty sad hope. One of you could go to the store today and get run over or you know somebody go in and shoot the whole store full of people. That is not a, a sound hope. No. And I think of that all the time. What a sad situation in that guy's life. What a nice person though. But he just... He was under the impression that this was, I don't know where he got that. Maybe his preacher told him that or something, but it, that was it. He just shut himself off. My, my hope, my dream isn't going to happen, and so I'm just not, I, I, it breaks my heart. Anyway, there we go. Um, 316, have we read that? No. Are we on three? Yes, we are. I got myself off and, okay, 316. We're going to be done in like five minutes. We're going to end early, I'll bet, which I'm sorry about that. But, um, uh, yeah, once you said there were five verses, and I thought if I do three today, which I always try to do three, we're going to have two salutation greetings. We're going to have to, I don't want to do that to people. So, all right, go ahead. So you're trying to make that untrue by going on about this. <laughs> well, there's plenty of time to go on about not going on about it. So. Okay. <laughs> Allowing you to go on. Now, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. Okay, here we go. See, this is even kind of a salutation greeting. This thing just keeps going down. Uh, this one says, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. Okay, so um, let's see here. 316, Paul has given multiple commands and exhortations since verse 6. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be honest with you now. I thought that we would have one more week after this. And so I was going to get pizza next week. And I should have done it today. Oh, well. Because we got people that have sent money. And I've got some from a month or more than that ago. I've got a whole list of... Uh, so anyway, we'll, we'll maybe we'll do it next week because Steve will be here. You know? Oh, the 11th. Well, yeah, next week. So, yeah. So it is your turn to watch it. He's yeah. California right now. Oh, okay. Is he okay? I'm not my brother's oh, You're not your brother's <laughs> keeper. Okay, here we go. Paul has given multiple commands and exhortations since verse 6. Now he attaches a benediction to these by saying, Now may the Lord of peace himself. Okay, that is actually coming up in this week's sermon. 
Isn't that funny? Hang on. Listen to this. This it's week's the way it works. It's this just, is the way I it just goes. love how this all fits together. Um, here we go. Hang on. Judges chapter six. Wow, I, I didn't even know this until right now. Judges chapter six, and it says, um, uh, oh, wait, it might be next week's sermon. It is. It'll be next week's sermon. Uh, now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord, so Gideon said, alas, oh Lord, maybe it is this week. So it's either this week or next week, because I got two sermons I've been working on uh, today and uh, earlier. Uh, it says, alas, oh Lord God, for I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. Jehovah Shalom. Okay. To this day, it is still an Ophrah of the Abiezerites. He said you're not going to die. So the Lord himself, not this, is that the, you read that, said the angel? The angel of the Lord. Okay. That, that had to be what Gideon saw there. He saw Jesus. Yeah. And that's exactly what I tie in. No and man shall see, see live. that's yeah. right. Yeah. That's It has to be. Okay, yeah. so having said that, I, maybe this week, it may be next week. So I apologize. I, I get all this stuff in my head, and I uh, forget which sermon I'm working on at what time of the day. But uh, here it is. This is the Lord of peace. This is Jehovah Shalom. Okay, so um, uh, where was I now? 316. Yeah, the Lord of peace. This phrase is unique. In, I better go back. Um, he has been speaking of withdrawing from those who are disorderly. Now as a prayer that such will resolve this unhappy situation, he calls on the Lord of peace. Jehovah Shalom. The phrase is unique in all of his writing. Elsewhere he says the God of peace, such as in Romans 15.33 and 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Thus we have another implicit reference to the Godhead, ascribing to Jesus what was previously ascribed to God, such as right there in Judges 6 and Isaiah 9, verse 6. What does it say? He shall be called Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace. Okay, this probably stems from Isaiah's use of that term, but it also goes all the way back to Judges chapter 6. Um, it is Christ Jesus who provides the peace of God. It is a peace which is more than just quiet, but wholeness of heart and soundness of mind. It is also the peace that extends to harmony between people. Paul asks this fullness of peace be given to those at Thessalonica, as he says it, always in every way, in adhering to the commands and exhortations, along with all of the apostolic instruction, this will be possible. Obedience to the word of God is what will bring this about in their lives. It's not going to come if they are not obedient to the word of God. It will not come. So this is what the Lord is, or what Paul is asking for the church. In completion of the verse, he then adds in, The Lord be with you all. This petition harkens back to Matthew 28, 20, where the Lord promised to be with his people always. In obedience to the word of the Lord, there is found the comfort of the Lord. How often people say, I feel like the Lord's presence isn't with me lately. You hear that a lot, don't you? Yeah. You just... More often than not, it is because there is some deficiency in their own walk. Sure. They are not walking closely with the Lord. Okay, The Lord has promised, Paul has petitioned, and the only thing to keep either from being effective must then be from our side, not the Lord's. If you think about it, the Lord said he's going to do it. Paul has given the petition, so if it's not happening, there's something wrong with us. We need to redirect our walk, our lives, our conduct, 
to be in accord with the word of God. Because the Lord has promised, I will always be with you. Says it again in the book of Hebrews. Um, I can't remember the exact verse, but there it is. 13.5. 13, Burke says. <laughs> if he gets this, then he might get a special noogie or something. Uh, let's see here. Uh, super hyper noogie. 13, I'm in 6, I'm in 8, I'm in 9, I'm in 11, I'm in still in 11. Uh, 13, 8, go back a page. Remember, yes, very good, Burke. Uh, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So there you go. Very good, Bert. A plus. Between you and Rhoda, we got a couple of theologians in this place. Unbelievable. It's side of the church is like it's, yeah, it's, listing it's, to that. It's stuff. listing. Yeah. <laughs> we may capsize. Do you remember that guy in Congress, Dingle? Oh, yeah. That, he, was he, it Dingle? Yeah, he did about the. Uh, I think it was yeah, San Juan or no? No, was Guam. Guam he, was going He was worried. He was talking to a general, a general, in a Senate committee or a, a representative. The House is uh, questioning them about the budget and stuff. And this stupid congressman says to the general, "We've got so many uh, people on Guam, so many, so many supplies, so many ships, and so many aircraft. Is it possible that we could capsize Guam?" Johnson in... Johnson. Okay, Johnson. Anyway, it wasn't Dingle. That's right. It was Johnson. He was but the runner-up. <laughs> I got to tell you, what adult. The whole island's going to capsize. Mm -hmm. He doesn't realize that an island is just an extension of a, a mountain. Of yeah. right, so. it's just We got some real losers in our Congress. I think the guy is still in there, too. I mean, they keep re-electing them. Anyway, the, the, the general had to maintain his decorum, but you could see... <laughs> He was like, this guy is a real idiot. Uh, anyway, yeah, we're listing in the church. We may capsize. Um, let's see here. Um, okay, so Metaphorically speaking. Metaphorically speaking. Um, okay, uh, we were there. We were there. The Lord has promised. Paul has petitioned. Uh, if we are walking obediently and yet we still not feel the Lord with us, then we need to draw near to the Lord who is already there. In Hebrews 10.22, we are admonished, admonished to draw near with a true heart in true heart in full assurance of faith. If the Lord seems distant, let us follow these words and correct the problem from our end. He has never left us. Life application. If our spiritual walk is dry and barren, or when we feel that the Lord is distant, let us return to the word. Let us remember that he has given his promise to never leave us and never forsake us. Hebrews 13, 5. Guess how I know that? Um, with that in mind, let us then draw near to the one who is right there. Open those spiritual eyes and direct them to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. What verse is that? My favorite verse in the Bible. Hebrews 12, 2. Yes, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Okay, so life application. If our spiritual walk is dry and barren... Oh, I've already read that. I read the life application. Hey, guys, how's it going? Good. Everybody okay? Right. Happy. Okay, thank you. You got your food out of there, Thor? Yeah. Okay. All right. Hedekos and Mommy is coming to see you. Okay, uh, we're in 317. Yes, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand, which is the distinguishing mark in all my letters. Okay. This is... Oh, yeah, okay. Go this, ahead. This, this is, is how, how I, I write. I'm sorry, I cut you off. Yeah, this is how I write. This one is a little different, so it threw me off. This, the salutation of Paul with my own hand, 
which is a sign in every epistle, so I write. Okay, there you go. It gets close, but same thought, but just reworded, restructured. Uh, 318, Paul's closing words here are identical to those of 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 28, except here he adds in the word all. This is in line with the words of verse 16 of this chapter where he said, the Lord be with you all. This is especially important because he has censored some of the congregation for being lazy sluggards, okay? He wants them to be in peace. He wants them to be in fellowship. And so he says, may the Lord be with you all, or however he just worded it. Despite this, he has no ill will towards them, and the letter has been intended to correct their sloth. Okay, wait, yes, is that, what verse did we just read? Uh, that was uh, 16. 17. 17. Okay, I was reading uh, 18. I'm sorry, I've got to go back and read 18. 17. Okay, the salutation, um, uh, here it is. The salutation of Paul with my own hand, that's his words, tells us that until this point, he has had a scribe writing the epistle for him. Okay, and this is something he does in a lot of his letters. He has somebody writing the letter. In fact, in uh, Romans, he had the scribe uh, give a greeting of his own. What was the guy's name? Romans? Uh, no? Tertius. Yeah, think of three. Tertius, tertiary. He's the third. He was probably the third born in the house or the third slave in the she house or something. That's right. She was in the right pew. She just. <laughs> yeah. Burke, Burke was giving her a chance. Okay, so um, let's see here. Um, uh, he has a scribe that's been writing for him. It is at this point that he stopped his narration and said to the scribe something like, Bentonius, let me have the quill to finish up the letter. Certainly not miffed at all because of writer's cramp, uh, Bentonius probably said, it's all yours. Fine, sir, finish away. The salutation of Paul was intended to keep from happening exactly what did happen as noted in verses 2, 1, and 2, okay? This is why he did this. He's trying to avoid what has already been happening in there, 2, 1, and 2. Um, uh, it says here, um, uh, 2, verse, yes. Now, concern, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and are gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us as though the day of Christ had come. He is asking, what's that? As if. Yeah, as if. That's right. He didn't have that signature. <laughs> exactly. And so this is why he is doing, that's exactly right. So, um, uh, handwritten salutation from Paul authenticated the letter so that there would be no mistake in whether it was valid or not. His signature demonstrates that that letter is apostolic in nature. Okay, that's exactly right. So, this is seen in his next words, which is a sign in every epistle, so I write. He had these big letters. They were very uh, identifiable is the word, I guess. People could tell exactly who had written it. He's giving a salutation. Without that, don't listen to it. Okay, it's in the word of God now. We need to hold fast to it and not say, well, that doesn't belong in the Bible because, you know, I'm not the arbiter of God's word, neither is anybody else. Anybody that comes to you and says that the book of 2 Peter doesn't belong in the Bible, reject them. If somebody comes in and says that the book of Acts is not inspired, reject them, okay? That's the kind of stuff I wouldn't even 
you know, just stay away from people like that. They're harmful to the congregation. They're harmful to the faith, and they're harmful to themselves. They're the ones that are going to pay the the great penalty for their really terrible, just terrible theology, their terrible doctrine, their terrible actions against the body of Christ. So, um, you're not going to like me. What? How do you know it was big letters? Because he says, "See how large are my letters in Galatians." Really? Yeah, here we Burke, I'm surprised at you. You're gonna get a you're gonna get three lashes with a wet noodle. Word. It says, um, uh, is it Galatians? It may not be Galatians, but he says, hang on for now I bear. Here it is, eleven, six eleven. See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. That is his distinguishing mark, is large yeah, letters. Large the way Yeah. And that and that was probably be because of what? His eyesight. Eyesight. He probably had very bad eyesight. People and so he's walking him around. Yeah, they, they've got clues all through the uh, acts in the, his epistles that Paul probably had very bad eyesight. One of those so. rocks hit him right between the eyes. Right between the eyes. That's right. Okay, so here we go. Um, uh, he said, uh, this is uh, which I write in every epistle, so I write. Paul obviously wrote the concluding thoughts of the first letter to them, but he didn't highlight it at that time. But now he is doing so in order to keep from any future possibility of a false letter being received and accepted. You saw how I did it last time. I'm doing it here. If you don't see this, you know it wasn't from me. It is known from Galatians 6. Oh, yeah, here it is, that Paul had unique style of handwriting, which was with very large letters. It is generally assumed that this was because he had poor eyesight. Uh, here, we're already ahead of it. Um, the reasons for this assumption are convincing. His handwriting would be very easy to recognize and rather hard to forge. This was his mark of authorship and the letter's mark of authenticity. So, life application. Nowadays, we send many emails, and our social intercourse is often reduced to short, rather impersonal messages. From time to time, it should be our practice to take a moment and to actually write a note to those we cherish. In this, we go back to a more personal, even intimate time where associations and friendships were recognized as such. I remember a letter my grandmother had in her, uh, she had this bureau facing the lagoon, and there were all these letters in their family heirlooms and stuff, and one of them, it was the most beautifully written letter, but to save on paper, it was written line by line, all the way on both sides, and then he turned it sideways and wrote in between each word this way so that he could get twice as much letter on a single piece of paper. So it was beautiful. I don't know whatever happened to that letter, but it was one of the most beautiful things. It was so well written that you could, there was no smudging, none of this, you know, what's he trying to, it was very, very beautiful. Anyway, uh, that was an intimate time in our history. People actually took time to write letters. There's not much of that anymore. Um, so, uh, yeah, 318. Is this the last one? It is. Okay, so 318. I started to read that one when I was wrong, so we'll now read it and be right. Well, just before you get too far, it's yes. amazing how society has gotten away from the letter. When was the last time anyone bought a postcard, <laughs> which is like the, I, the cheap version of a letter that you would send well that's somebody. right but i can tell you that once in a while i will get a postcard from somebody you know they're writing me a letter or something mm -hmm. and they usually just send it without any writing on it they write it in a letter and they give a postcard uh -huh. i love to get those no, they they're, are good they're, they're, they're always so beautiful unique. they're, they're unique and then sometimes i will take one and write it you know on it and i'll send it out 
and I kind of feel guilty because, but you can't hold on to everything forever. But yeah, you just want people to experience getting a postcard. Else enjoyed it yeah, it's, it's so nice. Oh, but 18. yeah, once in a while I do get a postcard just to, okay, go ahead, 18. Okay. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Okay, this one says, uh, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So they dropped that out no, in the NU text, but there you go. Uh, let's see here. 318. I know I've read this once, but now you hear it again. Paul's closing words here are identical to those of 1 Thessalonians 5:28, except he adds in the word all. This is in line with his words of verse 16 of this chapter where he said, the Lord be with you all. This is especially important because he has censored some in the congregation for being lazy sluggards. Despite this, he has no ill will towards them, and the letter has been intended to correct their sloth. Okay, so they should they fail, the congregation also has its orders to withdraw from them, but still admonish them as brothers. Everything in here is done by Paul to maintain order and harmony within the church without harming a brother unnecessarily. Okay, you are to distance and distance yourself from him, but not permanently, only until he complies and comes back. When he does, you're to welcome him back into the fold. That is the intent. It is corrective measures. Uh, there's a term in prison ministries called recidivism, where you, it's a hard word to put. Recidivism. Okay, it's a word that means that they fall back into their old ways. Prison is supposed to make people not want to go back to prison, right. okay? And so they have found that the, the greatest thing to keep people from returning to prison is the one thing that they don't want you doing anymore. Bible. Having Bible studies, teaching people the Word of God. Those people that are given the Word of God in prison tend to be the least go-backers of any group, okay? And that's why they don't want to teach us because they want a system where people are dependent on prisons and the government, and it's just unbelievable. But yeah, well, I, yeah, I don't want to try to say that word again, okay? Go-backers is a lot better than trying to pronounce that word. Anyway, um, okay, yeah, so the, the intent is just like it would be if we were teaching uh, the Bible in prison. It's to correct people. It's to get them to be productive, okay? Despite the addition of all, as is in accord with all of his epistles, Paul's closing salutation is a blessing, which is a petition for divine favor to be upon his audience. In the Greek, there is a definite article in front of the word grace. Quite often, English translations will insert the for clarity at certain points, but it may not be in the Greek. However, it is here. The grace is different than saying something like, may grace from the Lord Jesus be with you. Paul is asking for a divine impartation of this attribute of the Lord to rest upon those in Thessalonica and thus us and to sustain them in their walk. It must be then considered that those who are not obedient to the epistle are to be excluded from this petition. Okay, the grace is not to be on you until you get your act in gear. When you do, you will be included back in the grace that God is, Paul has asked God to bestow upon you. For example, in a similar petition for grace to be bestowed upon the congregation at Corinth, he wrote concerning a disobedient congregant saying to deliver such a one to Satan 
for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Until that person was willing to adhere to the sound instruction of the epistle, his petition for divine grace was most probably not intended for him. Why give him grace when he's exercising license that he shouldn't be exercising? And yet at the same time, we all fall short of one precept or another. Therefore, it must be considered that those it is for those who earnestly strive for adherence to it, even if they do fall short. What is one of the times in the church that we uh, actually uh, conduct ourselves in that thought? Right there. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Burke got it. Lord's Supper. That's the whole purpose of the Lord's Supper. I am not worthy to even be here. And I can't tell you how many Sundays I sit there and I close my eyes and I say, I can't believe that you allow me to even preach to these people. I'm such a corrupt person. I'm so gross in my thoughts, in my actions. I, and I just say to the Lord, I can't believe that you allow this for me. And more, you're going to allow me to take the Lord's Supper. I'm so sorry for what I've done this week, what I've thought the actions I've taken, that is what that is a corrective measure that is self-imposed. And if we don't take that self-correction, uh, then we are the ones that will suffer for taking the, the Lord's Supper inappropriately. Just as it says, every single week we say the same thing, every week, right out of the Bible, okay? That's why we do it. So, um, uh, let's see here, where were we? Paul, in one form or another, closes out every one of his epistles with such a note of request for this divine favor. Even the last words of the Bible are very closely aligned with his words here. There John writes, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. That's Revelation 22:21. Finally, Paul closes the letter with the word, Amen. In essence, so let it be. Paul has petitioned for grace upon his audience, and then he confirms that petition with assured hopes that it will be so. Life application, the Bible time and again asks for an undeserved blessing to be bestowed upon those who pursue it, even if they fall short of what it states. Such is the nature of grace, and such is the nature of our gracious Lord. As you walk along life's highway, take time to contemplate the wondrous grace that has been lavished upon you, and then thank the Lord and praise the Lord for that same grace. How wonderful. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to you for the chance to come into your presence and to learn your word. We're so grateful for the contents of 2 Thessalonians and what it says to us. We're very grateful for uh, the life you've given us, and it is your timing for all of us. And the rapture itself will happen when it happens, and we're not going to make it happen any sooner by speculating. So if we get one thing from the uh, epistle that we've now studied, it is that we need to just let you be you and that we are to be obedient and get about the business of the church, learning sound doctrine and sharing and fellowshipping in it with others who are willing to do so. Help us to do this. Help us to be firm in our doctrine and firm in our conviction that your word is true and it is to be held in the highest of respect. Thank you for your word, and above all, thank you for Jesus, who is revealed in your word. Amen. Amen. 119 days, hey. 17 weeks. Wow, 17 weeks it took. Read Psalm 66, 18, and 19. Psalm 66, 18, and 19. Give me just a second here. Psalm 66, 18, and 19. 
It says, uh, Psalm, yeah, we're getting there. Such thin pages in the Bible. Okay, Psalm. Why is it? I, because there's a lot of Bible, and if they're thick, it's going to be a lot more. So, Psalm 66, what? 18 and 19. 18 and 19. We'll close out with that. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. But certainly God has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Yeah. How wonderful. Great stuff. All right. Uh, we're going to say goodbye to you all. Have a wonderful uh, week. And I'll back it up and we'll all give you a wave. Probably not going to hear us now. Let's see here. Go to break, 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 break.